In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. Might solve a mystery or rewrite history. This is the story we needed to write as we kept out of sight for no I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. On this episode of Notably Disney, I will be talking with composer, singer-songwriter, and musician Gabriel Mann, who is most recently known in the Disney community for composing the score and writing some of the songs for High School Musical, the musical, the series on Disney+. He is also known for having written the score for Modern Family probably one of the most popular comedies in the past couple decades, and he recently scored A Million Little Things on ABC, which wrapped up its five-season run earlier this year. We are going to talk about his career, some of his projects, and more on this episode. Hope you enjoy. Well, I'm really glad to be joined by composer and singer-songwriter artist Gabriel Mann, uh, who most recently uh, has been involved with a bunch of different projects and within the context of Disney. Uh, we just saw the finale for High School Musical, the musical, the series. Uh, really enjoyed it throughout its run and really glad to have the opportunity to talk with you about your career and, and projects today. Great, Gabriel, thanks for joining me. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm so excited. Well, I know you have a very fascinating career and pathway into music, um, but for those who might not be familiar with your background, can you share what drew you into the world of music? I understand that you were initially going down the pre-med route. You were also majoring in music composition. What what allowed you to kind of uh, really hone into your, your musical gift? Uh, well, that's exactly right. I went, by, by the time I went to college, I had sort of been you know, I studied piano as a kid, and my father was the cantor in our synagogue, so I was exposed to music in that way, but I had never really done any sort of, um, you know, I wrote songs about like space and like animals when I was in high school, and they were terrible. And, uh, but, but by the time I got to college, it wasn't really on my radar as a kid from San Antonio um, doing music as a career. I, I didn't really sort of perceive it as a, as a that's something you would do like to earn a living. Um, 
but I got to college and one of the first classes that I took um, was this class called History of the Symphony. And it kind of uh, it kind of changed the course of my life, really. The, that class was about essentially the structure of the symphony and how it changed over time. And, um, and I had never really looked at music that way before. I'd never really looked at it sort of analytically in that way. And it kind of blew my mind. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be a music major. I think there's something to this whole music thing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I also, uh, but at the same time, you know, I was I was I was pre-med because I was I didn't really still perceive it as a career. I just was interested in it. And I liked it, and I felt like I had talent in it. And um, so, anyway, that's sort of that that's sort of the beginning of 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 why of how I got into it. By the time I graduated from Penn, I had dropped pre-med and but only after doing most of it. I did all of it except for second semester organic chemistry. Um, I wasn't particularly good at pre-med. That was another sort of like easy way to uh, make a decision to sort of point my life towards music. But then I got, I, somebody had mentioned this, uh, I, I didn't really know what to do with a degree in music composition. Um, and so I went to the USC, USC has a film scoring program. And so I applied to that and I, and I got into that and I did this year long. It's essentially like a master's degree um, in film scoring. And so I did that and that mainly served to bring me to Los Angeles, which I had no real connection to. Um, but I knew that I, by then I had sort of figured out, well, if you want to make a living in music, one way to do it is maybe writing for TV or commercials or films or stuff like that. And I had worked for a guy at one point who did commercials in New York during college. One of my summers, I worked for a guy who did that. And I thought that was interesting. Anyway, so it seemed like there was a world in which you could earn a living writing music. And I understand that when you were in the USC film scoring program, that you learned from legendary Disney composer and legend Buddy Baker. Is that right? Buddy Baker, uh, yes. Buddy, Buddy Baker, well, Buddy Baker ran the program. We did have a class or two with him, but he was the really in charge of the program. And he was already um, quite old by the time I got there. And um, But he was the guy who accepted me. He was really, he ran the whole thing. And, and when I, I basically called USC and spoke to Buddy before I, when I was a senior at Penn. And I was like, hey, like this program sounds interesting. Like, what do I have to do to, to go there? And he said, well, he was like, well, why don't you send me some music? And, and so he had me, um, he had me write three things. I, I had something that existed that sort of fulfilled the categories, but it was basically like, he needed like a big band thing, which I knew nothing about. And I had to go figure out how to make a big band chart and then like something sort of larger orchestral piece and then something else. So I had the something else. I had scored a student production of uh, Midsummer Night's Dream for like a seven piece ensemble. So I had that. That was something that I had written sort of in conjunction with the music major. And then the other two things, I just had to write something. Anyway, so he, so 
he, so I sent them off to him, and he like looked over them. And he's like, and he called back like a like the next day. He was like, why don't you come on down? And it was like it was I was shocked by the whole experience. I just I couldn't believe that this is how the whole thing operated. That it was like sort of up to this one guy, and I I also didn't know anything about him. Um, and it wasn't particularly easy to like Google somebody at that time. Like it didn't really, there really was not Google at that time. Um, so I just sort of came out and, and I, I was happy to essentially have a place to land in LA. Um, and that buddy sort of gave me that. It was like, and, and there were a bunch of people that, that were in our class who are still working in TV and film today that I, that are like my colleagues. Sometimes it's helpful to enter situations with no preconceived notions. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, that's very cool. And I uh, and I know from looking at your career that it seems like if we jump in time a decade, roughly, that the end of the first decade of the two thousands was one that was very transformative for you. Your band, the Rescues, formed. You landed the gig of composing Modern Family, which of course had a very successful run. Um, and, and so many other projects seem to surface during this period as well. How did you process having such a confluence of opportunities and what from an outsider standpoint looks like a very concentrated period of time? Well, that's that's really exactly right. Like the year roughly around like 2008, 2009, 2010, that period of time was like very transformative. And there was a lot of stuff that sort of uh, began to to uh, happen in, in a good way, but you know what? What is excluded from that is the really more like 14 years of the stuff that sort of led up to that, um, and that's like kind of a long time. Like most people who go into a job expect to like sort of have something happen. Um, you know, you know, like it's it's just not a normal job. Let's just put it that way. Like going into music is not like, um, you know, being in finance, and it's not like uh, being a doctor. There's 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 programs for those kinds of jobs that are there's like steps you take, and you get it, you get this thing, and then you go to this thing, and then you go to this thing, and your, you know, your potential for earning happens relatively sooner. Whereas in music, it's it's sort of like um, you have to sort of build your own world. And and the way that I did that was just sort of um, by by finding things that I was interested in and taking like every possible opportunity that did come along, kind of as long as it was sort of like sort of related to music generally, <laughs> I would basically say yes, because I didn't I, I wanted to pay my rent. I was trying to pay rent. And this is something that I think a lot of musicians go through, of all, all kinds of musicians. They're just trying to figure out, how am I going to do this thing that I love to do uh, and get paid for it? <laughs> anyway, so it, did, it took a long time to get to a place where um, I was earning sort of consistently a lot. I mean, there, there are many, many things that I did to earn. So we could either talk about that or we can jump in time to 2009, which is where things did start to happen. Basically, I had done some, I had worked for a few years for 
uh, as an assistant, basically, and then as, essentially as like a co-composer for a guy named David Schwartz. Um, that was sort of in the in the middle of the aughts. And one of the first thing that I that I worked on with him was songs for uh, Arrested Development. He was, um, and so I, I had come back from a tour. I had done this big tour and, and um, so I was really in song land. I was sort of a solo artist and I was doing, I, I had sort of left TV film, that whole concept behind after the USC thing. I did a few years of assistant work, but I, at some point I was like, you know what, I should just be a rock star. That'll be easy. And, um, and so I did, a, I made a bunch of solo records. Ultimately, I came back and started working for David as a as an assistant and as a sort of co-composer. And so I worked with him on these songs for the rest of development. And we and that was really fun. And that led me to sort of say to him, hey, can I work with you on more stuff? And so we did a few different a few years of um, working on a few different shows. Um, and I met some people during that time, one of whom was the director of the Modern Family Pilot. And, and uh, the way that the story really happened is that is that my wife saw a listing in one of the trades that, that had this guy's name on it. And she was like, shouldn't you ask him if you could write music for that pilot? That seems like it would be a smart thing to do. And that wasn't really on my radar either. I was still kind of like... I knew that it was it would be good to get my own show, but I didn't really know how that was going to happen. My wife had figured that out. So I called him and he was like, yeah. And I went over to the set of my, of the pilot, which was just like the set of any other pilot. Nobody knew that anything was going to be anything. Uh, ultimately, I wound up writing a theme for it um, and a couple other small things that they needed for the pilot. And... Um, and I was not the only person who was trying to get that gig. And I was pretty young at the time and green and um, whatever. Somehow I kind of held on and the, the, the theme held on more importantly. And, um, and that was really the sort of beginning of my TV career in earnest because it was the first show that I had that had my own name on it without anybody else. Um, at the same time, as you mentioned, I had a band that had formed out of these four singer-songwriters. It started with three, it became four, and the four, and that band, The Rescues, um, which we should come back to at the end of this conversation, is, got a record deal. We like, we, we, we were all sort of trying to do our own thing individually for many years and, you know, had tens of fans each, and, um, but the band, when we got together, did something magical. So that band sort of grew and grew and grew. And then we got a record deal right around the same time as Modern Family started. And so now I'm touring with the band and writing cues for Modern Family, essentially from the road. And we had our, my wife and I had our second kid that same time. And it was pretty hectic. When it rains, it pours. And I think yeah. there was a... There's definitely a lot of rainfall there. You know, it's 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 always interesting to look at a, a project on the other side of it. I remember when um, 
at the very first Disney D23 Expo back in 2009, they screened the pilot for Modern Family. And th- and I remember watching and thinking, this is this is something special. But of course, you never know what the ultimate reception is going to be. And, you know, a decade later and, and dozens and dozens and dozens of episodes, to your credit, it makes me wonder from the lens that you have, Gabriel, like, you know, you're you're responsible for all these episodes, and and often each episode ended with some sort of touching scene that concluded it, and and really helped kind of uh, conclude the narrative. How did you keep that approach fresh, given that you're that there's a certain formula, if if you will, to to how a, a 22 minute episode runs? Well, it's interesting. It, it, one of the technical things that happened is that sort of over time. At the beginning of it, I was really just like trying to, I I was young and inexperienced and I was trying to make sure that like things sounded cool and that like, you know, I was, I was like impressing the, the executives on the show, like the creators and like making sure everybody felt like I was really, you know, being cool and being fresh and over the course of 11 years, I think gradually that feeling went away, my sort of need to um, impress them. And I got more into what the job really is, which is uh, which is expressing an emotional feeling uh, and reacting and supporting, reacting to and supporting what is happening in the scene. And it's not always the same. Something that is, you know, emotional in one way may be not the same from episode to episode. So, um, I, I, so, so technically, as I went forward in the seasons, I actually think I, I did less and less in terms of um, like the production of the music and what it particularly sounded like, and more and more in terms of being careful about where changes were happening, what the changes were, what the exact like sort of feeling was in the in whatever I was writing and and being a little uh, more spare in terms of the orchestration of the of those ending cues. And anyway, so that so I just I I think I got better at my job (laughs) over time and also during the run of Modern Family, I started to get a lot of other work. Um, and so I, I was sort of being influenced by other other things I was working on in terms of like, oh, well, maybe I should try something like this. I think this would work for Modern Family or like whatever. In other words, like the, I'm not sure I was I was I was more experienced. I became more experienced every every year, not just working on Modern Family, but I was working on a lot of other things that that um that helped me i think professionally and made me more sensitive to what i was seeing on the screen and more capable of interpreting that musically absolutely i i could see how all those experiences would you know inform one another and so jumping in time a little bit because we're doing a lot of time jumps here if we go to 2019 and the the rise of the high school musical the musical the series uh, or HSMTMTS, the massive acronym that it is. Um, you know, here's an opportunity where you're contributing an original score to a 
to a franchise ultimately that has a that has a tone and character, but it's kind of completely turned on its head via this kind of mockumentary style series. I, I'm wondering how you decided to how you decided to kind of approach the tone of this series because it it's not in the same it's in the same universe as of, as the films, but it's its own entity and ultimately own sense of character. Well, that, I mean, that has entirely to do, I think, with Tim Federley, who's the creator of the show. He he had a very specific um, tone in mind for the show as a whole. And I, like, fully was on board with that. I just, I just sort of grabbed hold of that, and I felt like I knew exactly what it needed. <laughs> I, I felt like I was on board right away. Um, in terms of like the tone of the music, in terms of the sound of the music, that always like like sound meaning like what instruments are you going to use and all that stuff. That that is a more technical part of the job, like you know, and and it takes some experimentation. But in terms of the tone of like the sort of like self-referential um, mockumentary thing, and and the sort of meta-ness of it all, and the sort of poking fun at itself of its at itself um but also being a serious show and having major emotional moments that are are real um i just felt like i was on board with that and i and i and i got it and i appreciated it and i and i love it like i'm also like i'm a i'm a big fan of this show i i love tim's sense of humor is like i'm just right on board with it and and I think it's so fresh and fun and um and you know is it was sort of the same feeling that I had with him when we worked on Better Nate than ever. I just like I feel like uh we get each other in a way that is rare um and, and exciting and, and, and makes it easy to sort of like one thing that happens when I'm working with Tim is I like to I like to make him laugh. And I also, you know, I, I want to be careful that I'm not making people laugh the wrong way. You know what I mean? Like, we want people to laugh, but we want them to laugh at the right moments. And we want the emotional beats to be uh, as real as we can make them and not sort of gild the lily and, and, um, and not be sort of like treacly in terms of how we treat those moments. So, like... Anyway, I just I just really feel this show. I think is really the answer. I feel the I feel the, these kids and I feel what they're going through, and so I, it didn't feel that hard to sort of tap into that. I I can definitely feel that as a viewer of the show, and you know, one thing that strikes me with a bunch of series is how the theme can often you know capture the essence of it, and in this case, there's the the marching band. By what what led you to adopt that approach and kind of capturing the tone? Well, it's pretty. It's not like super complicated. It's just sort of like there's marching bands in high school, right? So like that. There's that. Okay. But the 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 way that I actually describe the the score in general um, is it's sort of like a like a rehearsal pit orchestra like kind of like a like a little janky <laughs> it's like a piano player and like a drummer and then there's like a marching band i'm sort of like fuse i'm fusing together essentially a marching band 
with a rehearsal, like a pit rehearsal orchestra for like the high school musical production. Like the, the way that the band would sound for the high school musical that they're putting on. Um, that's sort of how I pictured it. And the, the theme itself that plays over the card, we wanted it to lead, we wanted it to have a big lead in. So the lead in actually changes almost every episode. Um, it, it's the same concept, but it has to be sort of like, uh, not exactly edited, but it has to be sort of like uh, made more precise depending on what's happening before it. But it sort of like has this big lead up that's like, you know, that janky piano and and this and this sort of there, there's another kind of drumming that sort of like that thing is a particular beat called the Krupa beat. It was a, it was like it sort of invented by this drummer named Gene Krupa. And he that was just like his thing. So that was something that we had sort of initially latched on to as sort of a feeling that feels like the energy that we wanted at the beginning of the show it's a lot of it is has to do with the, the energy in terms of just the, the theme at least um we wanted to like get in there with a lot of energy and feel like like we were you know like the kind of energy that a marching band gives you so like because we had the marching band concept that felt easy to so it's sort of like this combination of those two things the, the sort of like janky rehearsal band blazing along with a big marching band <laughs> well i think it really reflects that more experimental vibe right of you know high schoolers as you said you know putting on a production but it's uh but it's playful and, and fun so yeah yeah exactly yeah now i we, we talked a little bit prior to recording that uh you, you contributed a handful of songs in the series and ultimately the, the soundtrack over the course of the four seasons. The score is yours, but the songs are from a, a number of different individuals. How did those particular opportunities come about for specific tunes? I, you know, one of my favorites was um, Roll of a Lifetime from the first season, but, uh, you know, I see a, a bunch of different musical genres across the, the songs that you contributed, but how did specific ones emerge? What was that process like for you? Well, there are certain times where like there, 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 there are a few songwriting teams on the show, and so like the Tim and and the people at at uh, Disney will have like they will sometimes have a particular team in mind for a particular song because different sort of songwriting teams are good at different things. So like so I I worked a lot I work a lot with a songwriter named Jeannie Lurie, and Jeannie uh, and I were sort of like we were sort of like the more that we do a lot of different kinds of songs for a lot of different kinds of things but for this particular thing we did a lot of the sort of more um a little bit more like programmatic like a little more on the broadway theater type side and like role of a lifetime is a great example it's very story driven um it's not really a pop song it's about what it's about and it doesn't and it, it it's not the kind of thing you would hear on the radio but it's like it's sort of like a modern broadway song um and it also fits his character like in turn it's like the kind of song like you would imagine that he would sing so so we were that's so so that was an assignment that song so we were we were they're not always assignments sometimes you're like 
you're pitching a song for a scene or you or you're competing against some other people but it happens in different ways for the different spots that particular one was like an assignment um and when you get those assignments it's really really fun and they're like we need a song here's what's going to happen they're also the the way that that works technically is also i think really interesting because you have to write those songs way before shooting so you're not looking at anything you're reading a script and you're talking to tim and making sure that he's getting exactly what he needs lyrically and like in and then you have to make sure that you're in the right zone like tempo wise and that like it's going to be it's going to go from you know what's going to be happening on screen like visually you need to sort of be writing to that a little bit um like another good example is like truth justice and songs in our key that song we knew sort of generally like we talked a lot about what was going to be happening visually because it's such a visual thing and um and even then like sometimes you write it it gets shot and in that particular song there was another verse that doesn't exist in the show and um but it does exist i'm pretty sure it's on the soundtrack i seem to recall that yeah yeah anyway so it was written a little bit longer and then for time they had to get rid of some of it whatever some of that that kind of stuff happens well and i love with role of a lifetime too that there's like a there's that dream sequence component of it so it is it can be additionally playful and lucas Graviel coming in as brian like <laughs> exactly and and those things like sometimes it'll be it'll come in reverse like sometimes we'll have an idea visually as the songwriters and we'll we'll present we'll present it with that idea and we'll sort of like write it into our lyrics that we're sending so that they know what we're thinking and they can sort of be like oh yeah that'd be cool and put that in the show and then suddenly we've sort of helped make this moment visually that and that's also really fun we're not just when you're writing a song for a show like this you're not just writing a song you're often sort of participating in like the writing of the show it's pretty interesting yeah really helping drive the narrative and, and yeah. it makes me think of kind of the and i and obviously this applies to other brands and properties as well but i think what's really special about um, Disney music is that not only does it have a, a life within the the series or the film, but also via soundtrack and people will appreciate it outside of the the context of the visual media, which is pretty remarkable that you're you're part of that part of that family now. It's true. It's it's like uh, it's a it's an honor to be a part of it, and it's like a lot of responsibility. So you have to you can't like screw it up. You want to be. You know, you want to respect the property and you want to respect the the project and the people you're working for. And you have and there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot to live up to there. So you want to make sure that you're bringing your A game. Absolutely. And you, and you said you're a fan of the series as well. So it makes me wonder what was one of the more rewarding or fun scenes or sequences that you scored over the course of the four seasons? Oh, man, there's there are some scenes where. Um, there's some I really like doing these big long chase scenes <laughs> um and there's one in season four that happens and I can't I don't even remember exactly which episode it is but um there's a really long one in season four and the the fun thing about season four generally was that 
Tim really wanted to bring back a lot of thematic material. Um, so I got to just, I just got to like have a great time bringing back all these themes that had that we had made over the course of the se of the four seasons, and you do, you sort of forget them after a while, or you forget like how useful they can be. And then if you hear a bunch of them in a row, that's also really fun. Another another one of the themes that um, I get a lot of feedback about is the Ricky and Gina theme. And I, I had never really like, I didn't know what the future of the show was in season one. Like I didn't know, I didn't know what the story was going to be. So I wrote a cue for when Ricky goes to Gina's house in season one. And I liked it. And I thought it was, I thought it was appropriate for that moment. And Tim was like, oh yeah, that's going to be the Ricky and Gina theme. And, but I, he didn't really say that at the time. He just sort of told me to reference that cue. We were already like deep into season two and he was like, that cue, bring it, do it here. And I was like, oh, okay. So I had to go and re-listen to it. So I didn't really, you know, I read a lot of cues every day. <laughs> But I hadn't really considered it to be like some pivotal thing, I guess, at the time. And it became really pivotal. And I wound up, it wound up getting used, obviously, as the story develops, gets, it needed to be used more and more. So I sort of had to expand it and like make a meal. I got to basically make a big meal out of it until, I guess, I can say spoilers because like... Yeah, we're fine. But basically... <laughs> Um, until the end of season four, in which it comes to like essentially its full fruition, and it's um, and that was also another that was a, a really satisfying sort of journey for that particular piece of music. I'm sure it's also satisfying for you as the composer to have closure with a series that you like. I, I know you've been attached to projects that maybe only lasted one season, but something like. High School Musical, the musical series, right? Like it was advertised that this is going to be the last season. And as you said, there's that there's that th thread that you're able to demonstrate in the final season. Yeah, it's really like knowing, um, we didn't fully know, but we sort of like had a feeling. So we really just sort of pulled out all of the stops essentially in season four. And, and that is really satisfying. It's very, you know, as a composer and, in a lot of different roles in in Hollywood, you know, the dream is to be on something that kind of like lasts for a long time. But I've started to um, appreciate this sort of creative, um, the 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 creative need to tell the story that the story is, and not just kind of keep going for the sake of, you know, essentially money and jobs and things like that and commerce, which is important and people's, you know, there are a lot of lives, livelihoods at stake on any show, but, and any, and any project, but it's also, you know, you, the show is as good as it is because of the people that make the show. And so, and that's true of a lot of, you know, of any project. So you have to be respectful of the story that you're telling and not just kind of 
extend it for the sake of extending it. So that's something that I feel like I learned. The last couple of things I've worked on have had a had a I've known like the, the last season going in that we were going to be done. And so that's satisfying. It, it is satisfying. It makes you feel like you, you really do get a sense of closure creatively. And that is not always the case. There are many projects that you work on where you're in season two and you turn in the last episode and you're like, can't wait for season three. And then season three never comes. And you're just like sort of left out there hanging and not feeling like you completed the story. So it's hard to so it's hard to argue with with a with an experience where you get to be there at the beginning and take it on the full ride and then get off at the last stop and say goodbye and it's a wonderful that's wonderful that's a great feeling and it's fulfilling as a viewer too right so like the the last few episodes especially of the the most recent season i think we're among the strongest of the series and Absolutely. the emotion and the music it all it all crystallizes into something I like special i could not i couldn't believe it i was so psyched about it i was like this is absolutely one of the most beautiful endings to a show i've ever experienced i couldn't i couldn't when i saw the last episode i was like i just i called him i was like i can't believe you made this i just couldn't believe it and and i was so and it it's funny because it makes you and i know this is true of, of other roles this is not exclusive to composers but like for the songwriters and for the actors and for the people who do the hair and people who do the costumes and the lighting guys and everybody who works on these things the more if when when someone's making something with that much care and that much uh, talent and, and emotional investment themselves. It makes everybody else who's involved um, bring everything they've got. And and that's like an amazing feeling to be a part of something like that. It's really fun. It, it makes it, you know, it makes it a lot more than a job. For sure. Well, and I'm looking forward to starting a, a new journey with you and your work. I, I watched the first episode of A Million Little Things last night. So oh, I know my God. You got another five, five seasons ahead of that for me. So I look forward to learning about uh, the characters, but also seeing how your music plays a role throughout that. Yeah. So. Well, you'll hear me sing a bunch in that one. That was, a, a one. that was one of the great things about that show is I got to do a lot of songs. Oh, fun. Well, I'll, I'll eagerly anticipate that. Before we wrap up, Gabriel, I want I'll conclude uh, the episode by asking you more of your what what projects are on the docket. I know you wanted to hearken back to the rescues, but I just want to go through some quick Disney opinion uh, questions if you're good for that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what Disney soundtrack did you most listen to while growing up? Whew. Uh, Disney soundtrack, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It might have been. When did Little Mermaid come out? Eighty nine. That was probably a big one, but I was already sixteen, I guess. Um, but I don't know what I heard as a younger kid. You know, when I was really young, I we listened to a lot of theater, like, but but only, mm -hmm. but very a very small grouping of cassettes that we had in the car. <laughs> it was like Carousel and Oklahoma and like Cats and chorus line and west side story that was like kind of what i grew up on in terms of 
that kind of music. It wasn't, we weren't like big on Disney, I gotta say. But what would what would have come out around that time, like the seven, the late seventies and early eighties? Uh, the Rescuers, <laughs> uh, not the Rescues, but the Rescuers, uh, yeah. Pete's Dragon. That wasn't as fruitful a time for Disney musicals. Yeah, uh, it wasn't until old. the late eighties. Yeah, it was like once we got to the eighties, then it started to kind of blow up. Yeah, that's all good. Uh, what Disney song most recently got stuck in your head? So like an um, earworm one of the th okay so we i was in new york recently and we saw there's a new production of little shop of horrors and those guys went directly from i, I learned a bunch of stuff i've been learning a lot about theater and i'll tell you why because it has something to do with the rescues but um though it uh what were there it was was that ashman ashman and Mankin. Oh, Mankin. yeah that was their ashman first project and, and then disney followed right. yeah exactly so they went directly from that to little mermaid is that not right that is correct yeah that was their next project so when you listen to somewhere that's green and part of your world i mean there's a direct connection between these two things and part of me just sort of feels like the guys at disney were like you know what we want it to be like that we like this we love your show now do this show and like i don't think in other words i don't i don't think there there was a deliberate thing i just feel like we want it to feel like we want you to make little mermaid and we want it to feel like this anyway um uh, is that what we were just what was the question got <laughs> <laughs> a little sidetracked it's all right what disney song most recently got stuck in your well head? so yeah part of your part of your world that that song is so is just you know really good they were at the top of their game for so long. They just were crushing it, and that's such a good one. Gabriel, have you watched the Howard Ashman documentary on Disney Plus? No, and I swear I was literally having somebody having this conversation with somebody else recently. They were like, "You need to watch that. It's like mind blowing." I know. I think you would you would appreciate it, especially him as a storyteller. Um, yeah. Uh, last music question is: What Disney film do you feel has the most underrated music? Ooh. I asked the tough ones here. That's tough uh underrated see now i need like a list of disney films in front of me uh let's find out what do we got here you only have a few hundred to choose from <laughs> okay well okay so i don't know about songs in particular but one thing that just comes to mind right now is there was a movie called onward do you remember oh that yeah uh-huh okay so i don't even remember the songs per se i'm sure there were some but maybe not there were a few um and in the end credits there was a, like a singer songwriter song yeah but that that movie generally and and actually i believe this about the score also i think is an underrated movie and underrated score i think it's so good and it came out i think part of the issue was for that movie that it was came out during the pandemic and it was just sort of like the whole distribution of movies was like got kind of jacked up during that time but that movie I love, and I have a. I recently met Jeff Dana, and so shout out to Jeff Dana. But that, um, I think it's an awesome, awesome movie, and it, I think it's underrated, and no one really talks about it because I think it just sort of like, it just came out at the wrong time. Yeah, it's full under the radar. Yeah, a very sentimental film too. Such a 
oh my god, it's a beautiful movie. It's it's just a beautiful movie. Yeah. Last fun question for you. This is a random one. So I the first three I ask for, to every guest. This is a random one for you. So which modern family character do you feel you most resonate with, and why? Probably um, Phil. <laughs> I just feel like. I, I am a little bit like him in terms of my sort of general sense of humor uh, and randomness factor. Uh, and, and I think I have realized over the last however many years that I might have a little like ADHD going on. And I'm pretty sure that Phil has that. <laughs> like, and there's times when that can be really useful and there's times when it can really like not be useful. But um Anyway, I think Phil is probably who I am. I'm also a dad of kids that are teenagers. So, and, and we, they happened to want to, they just like went back this summer for some reason and started watching Modern Family from the beginning. So I've been watching it a bunch and just enjoying it as a viewer. And it's so, um, it's just so satisfying. That show is so funny and it's always funny in kind of a different way. Every episode is just like got these, it's just great. I just love it. Yeah. Well, if they do a reboot, Gabriel, they could do it based on your family's life. Maybe. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> let's, let's wrap up. What's, what's next for you? What's new with the rescues and well, how can people follow your work too? So, Okay, so you can go to gabrielman.com and there's not, there's like basically nothing there. It's like you can, there's like links from there to like my various things. Um, but that's probably the easiest way to like find whatever I'm dealing with currently. And um, so I have a couple of things that are happening right now. One of the, I mean, I, I just finished this show for Hulu called Tiny Beautiful Things which was a really interesting project to work on because that was with, it was a co-composer thing where I worked with a guy named Juan Ariza and a singer-songwriter named Ingrid Michelson. That was really interesting project, but it was limited series, like eight episodes. So I don't think that is going to come back, uh, but that was a beautiful project in and of itself. Um, I do this show called Really Loud House with Neve Toar, who's in the other room slaving away at it right now um that's really fun and we have a really cool first episode of the second season that um i don't think it's giving anything away if i tell people that there are a lot of songs in it in that particular episode uh i'm not going to say exactly why and that's really fun super fun project and um and it, we, they got through about half of this new season and then there were strikes. So now we're sort of like getting through that first half and then hopefully soon we'll get to do the second half. And then, but the major thing that I'm really spending a lot of time on is a musical. I am writing a musical uh, with The Rescues, which is my band. And we had been sort of searching for something to uh, sink our teeth into that is... Um, that is that is not just making another record because we've made records and you know no one even really knows what a record is anymore so uh so anyway this project kind of fell into our laps and um 
and I think I'm not really allowed to say what it is yet because it hasn't been announced, but it is based on a pre-existing property, uh, and that is very exciting. And it's and we're really pushing the um, the speed of it. We're working on it basically every day. So that's the main thing that I'm working on, and we started it roughly one year ago, and we are pretty deep into it now, and we'll have um, more to report sooner than later. Lots of exciting content ahead. I, I would say you have the role of a lifetime as a, as a composer. Oh my God, I do. I, re I really do. I feel super lucky to have sort of landed in a place where I get to do score and I also get to do songs because I was one of the things that I mean, just to sort of digress for a minute or to go back to the beginning of my story, one of the things that I was worried about in terms of getting into TV and film as a career was that I wasn't going to be able to do songs. And it's turned out to not be that at all. It's turned out to, that I get to do both uh, in equal measure. And that's really like my sweet spot. I love and musical theater, it turns out, is like the combination of all of the things that I love. And I had really not expected that. So to sort of be dumped into that world um, at this point in my career is really uh, rejuvenating and exciting. That's awesome. Well, much continued success and fulfilling experiences to you, Gabriel. Thanks for, thanks for talking with me today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.